would you welcome up here Lieutenant Commander Jason Bilbro, retired, bringing the message. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Thank you. about now. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, well, happy Father's Day. It's, uh, it's cool to uh, share with you. It's an honor as always. Uh, I, was, I was thinking on Mother's Day, we got, we got Sandra and we got uh, a stage full of beautiful women singing and, and, uh, and blessing us. And on Father's Day, you get me. <clears throat> so here's the part uh, where I tell you that sometimes life isn't fair. Um, <laughs> And I don't know how much you paid uh, to get in this morning, but I will try to be worth the price of admission. Um, <clears throat> for those of you just joining us uh, online or those present here, if you haven't been with us this month, uh, we've been talking about first things first. And when I, when I look at the scriptures, uh, literally the first thing first is the Father, uh, Yahweh, uh, the original parent. Uh, so that's who I want to point us to today. About uh, a year or so ago... Um, I started volunteering as, uh, with a hospice care facility uh, locally. And so every week I meet with one to two individuals to, to just visit and, and talk and have a conversation. <clears throat> and what I can tell you in my, uh, my limited experience is that, is that people um, in that stage of life uh, don't want to talk about their accomplishments. Uh, they don't want to talk about what they've done. They don't want to talk politics. They don't want to talk about where they've been. Uh, they want to talk about people. They talk about their families. Uh, they want to talk about my family, how my family's doing, what are they doing. They talk about friends, many of them who've already left uh, the earth. Um, they talk about relationships, right? And I think it's important to understand. Um, but, but the longer that some of them are on this care, um, the more I think they have time to reflect. Um, and so sometimes they ask, they ask different questions, right? Um, such as, did I do enough? Uh, did, I, did I make the most of the time that I have? Was I a good mother or was I a good father? I don't share this to remind us of our mortality, but, but rather the opposite, rather to compel us, right? To compel us with a sense of urgency. To my fellow fathers, the time that we have to influence our children for the kingdom is fixed and fleeting, all right? Uh, my, my youngest starts kindergarten this fall. So I'm keenly aware that, that the time that I have with her uh, is measured. Fathers, and I address this to, to spiritual fathers, adoptive fathers, uh, fathers-to-be, uh, grandfathers, stepfathers, we have frequently underestimated the importance of our roles. Right? We have often failed to walk in the authority that's been given to us. We have modeled ourselves after uh, absent uh, and imperfect earthly fathers instead of the only truly good father, uh, and we've allowed our distractions at times and our fleshly desires to rule over us instead of the other way around. It's time for us to not merely sing about our good, good father, but rather to strive with every breath in our lungs to look and become more like him. So this morning, I want to encourage us. I want to encourage us in our fatherly roles by looking at what our father does in scripture and applying it to our own lives. Uh, but before we do that, would you join me in prayer together? Our father in heaven hallowed be your name. Uh, Father, we are, are blessed to be here, and Father, um, we are blessed to be, to be called after you. 
Uh, Father, I just pray that you would anoint my words uh, this morning, anoint the, the teachings that you have, um, frankly, beat me up with this week. Um, but I pray that no father would go from this place unchallenged. Uh, Father, I pray that we would never uh, encounter your word, uh, your truth, uh, encounter your presence without leaving changed. So change us, Father. Um, Father, open the ears, open hearts, and open minds uh, to receive this morning. I ask this in your son's holy name. Amen. All right. Sorry. So, fathers, this is your message. All right. This is your message today. This is for you. This hits the basics. Uh, it is unapologetically practical. Uh, this is not intended to tickle your ears, uh, but rather to challenge you uh, and spur you towards excellence. The seven questions that I have for you this morning are for you. They're not rhetorical. They're for each of us to ask ourselves and answer. All right? <clears throat> so let's get started. First, a father is present. I was going to start off with identity, but then I was like, well, you've got to be present for that to happen, I think. So fathers, are you present with your kids? Everything that I speak about this morning flows from presence, right? The word of God starts with and ends with the father's presence, right? He is present with his, his imagers, his image bearers in the Garden of Eden, and he's, he's present with us in the New Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 22, okay? Between those two points, he actually makes a way to be present inside of us, okay? So presence is extremely important to the father. Fathers, especially those who still have kids at home, our children need them to be present, need us to be present with them, Okay, I'm not, I'm not talking about like sitting in the same room while they watch TV shows, although that's, that's a start, but to be present with them. To, to, I'm talking eye contact, right? Like, I care about what you're, what you're doing right now. I care about what you're going through. I'm here to experience uh, this life with you, not just, just kind of be around. I understand that, that you work long and hard hours, okay? I used to, to get underway on ships, and I was gone for uh, days, weeks, months at a time. And, and I would come home, and I would just want to not be hassled, you know. Um, but um, Farley Lewis reminded us at the Kids Strong Conference that parenting is not about keeping everything comfortable or quiet for me. Um, so, so, so that's a good reminder to me that I need to be present with my girls. My girls are, are five and seven, if you didn't know. So, so my heart, my flesh, longs for a time when I can spend time with my girls and not have to pretend to be a kitty or a doggy, <laughs> right? Or talk like Elmo, or, or whatever I'm going to do, right? I just, I don't want to be that. I want to have a conversation and know that they're hearing more than three words before they're, like, on to the next thing. I know, I know that those, those times will come, right? So for now, I'm present with them, right? I'm, I'm, I'm where they are. So fathers, fill your, fill your children's memories with times of you being there. Fathers, take your daughters on dates. Take your sons out and have adventures, right? Fill their, fill their memories of, of time with you because relationship is based around presence. The second thing is I think the father imparts identity. Fathers, what kind of identity are you imparting to your children? Uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16. So this is, uh, this is where Matthew's writing about the baptism of, of Jesus Christ. It says, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. At the time of this statement, Jesus has not begun public ministry. He has done nothing noteworthy. He's not famous. He's not done any miracles. Okay? 
the father, the only thing that happened before that was, was his birth, and then, you know, his parents find him at the temple at his father's house, okay? But at 30 years of age, roughly 30 years of age, the father affirms his son's identity before he enters public ministry. And he says, this is my beloved. You are loved, right? This is probably the most important piece of identity that we can convey to our children, fathers, right? In word and action. Because if they don't get it from us, why would they want it from the father when they're old enough to actually choose him, all right? They need to, they need to be shown and told that they're loved, particularly when it's hard especially when it's hard, when they're, when they're being disciplined, when they're going through something, something challenging. You are loved. Nothing that you do will ever make me love you more or less, right? My disappointment, my frustration is, is based on your choices, not in who you are. You are loved, right? The father continues, this is my beloved son, sonship, right? You belong to me. I love the scriptures where the father changes people's names. Right? We talked about it this morning. From Abram to Abraham, from Sarai to Sarah, from, from Jacob to Israel. It's as if he says, I don't see you this way anymore. Like, I am permanently changing your name so that you remember who you belong to. You belong to me. Um, when Jesus meets Simon, right, Andrew says, this is my brother Simon. And Jesus, what does he say? He says, you are, you are Peter, you are Cephas, which means stone or rock, right? Jesus models the father in, in, in pressing identity, right? You may believe yourself to be this person, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to call you who you truly are. I'm going to call out the good in you. You belong to me, right? Um, that's, this is one of the things I love about adoption, right? Adoptive parents, like you've chosen the child, right? You're saying you are mine, right? You are mine. This is your identity now, right? And it's so important in driving out like any sense of like an orphan spirit that may exist, right? Sonship and belonging are crucial to identity, um, the father finishes up that, that line. He says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. I am pleased with you. I am proud of you. Growing up, my dad frequently told me that he was proud of me. He said, I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm glad you're my son. I'm glad I'm your dad. And he did this before I joined the Navy, um, before I I'd, I'd promoted and gotten awards and medals and commissioned as a Naval officer. Uh, he told me this when I was getting C's on my report cards, when, uh, when I skipped geometry class to the point of failure. Um, <laughs> woo, there you go. And you can amen that, or ouch, either way. Um, he did that before any of these things happened, right? Um, and that's, it's so important uh, that we do that, right? Uh, it's not saying that I am approving, approving of all your choices and your decisions. It's saying that, that I'm glad you're mine, right? I'm glad you're mine. I love you. You belong. Uh, I'm glad to be your father. A father leads. Fathers, are you leading your families? Right? Uh, a, a very basic definition of leadership is influencing others towards the achievement of goals. Right? The father does this throughout the entirety of Scripture. Right? Uh, from the calling of Abraham to, uh, to the giving of dreams of Joseph, uh, to the anointing of David, uh, to Moses in the burning bush, the father influences others to achieve his goals. Uh, you can think of it as, as, as he influences the particular to influence the universal, okay? This is something I admittedly struggled with for years. Um, it's kind of a generalization, but men can tend to compartmentalize, I've heard, right? And so I, I didn't want to bring like a lot of the stuff that from, from the military, from, from work home, so I just compartmentalized all that stuff, right? But in doing so, I compartmentalized all the good pieces about that, too. So when I came home, my, my wife was home with the girls all, all day, and I would just come home, and I'd kind of want to check out, 
right, and, and decompress. And from time to time, that's not a bad thing, but for me, in retrospect, it was perpetual, right? Um, and so I wasn't using my, my, you know, my leadership skills uh, as they should have been used. Um, sorry, I lost my place here. Boop, boop, boop. Uh, but exactly, so I, uh, I went to church, um, I listened, I paid attention, um, but I wasn't the spiritual leader in my home, if that makes sense. Um, leadership requires presence, right? As I mentioned before, um, work-related leadership, you can get by at times with the use of conference calls and Zoom calls, but a father needs to be present to lead as much as possible uh, based on the circumstances, or at least remain available, I think. Um, Leader, leadership is intentional. If I could tell you the one thing that differentiated in, in my military experience, true leaders from people that were just in charge by virtue of their rank or position, it's that they were intentional. Okay? Leader, true leadership doesn't happen by accident. Right? Real leaders don't just like show up and hope everything goes okay. They have a plan. Right? They, have, they have a plan to utilize the people in their organization to encourage, uh, to promote, to grow. Right? Uh, intentionality is, is super important in leadership. Moses, as an example, was not an accident. Okay? God planned Moses. He's the only Israelite-born son of an Egyptian princess. Okay? There's, there's no, nobody else like that existed. Right? God is like, you're the guy, and I'm going to use you to influence, and, and I'm going to free Israel through you. Okay? Fathers, be intentional about goals for your family. Have regular family meetings. Right? Uh, invite your children into the process and empower them. Include them on, in the conversation how to make your, your home uh, a better place. Um, talk about how you can be on mission together for the kingdom and influence them to succeed because of you, not to just get by despite you. Uh, leaders are exemplars. They're example setters. Right? Do as I say is a cautionary word. Do as I say, not as I do is a failed state. All right? It's a failed state. If you tell your children... Fathers, don't disrespect your mother, and then you disrespect their mother in front of them, right? You better have your not surprised face on when they disrespect their mother, okay? That's just, that's just how that works, right? If your children see you read your Bible and pray, they will follow suit. When I get out my, my Bible, right, the paper one, not, not this, because they don't know the difference, but if, if my children, my girls see me reading from my paper Bible, they will run and go get their Bibles and bring it out and sit next to me, right? If they see me pray, they will do that. When I work out, my girls run down and they want to work out with me, okay? Leadership by example. A word of caution. Pay attention to this. If you don't lead your family, someone else will. Okay? People naturally want to be led. They want to be part of something bigger than themselves that is accomplishing something important, okay? So if you're not leading them, and this is any organization, this is family, church, business, military, if you're not leading them, somebody will. If you're not leading them, someone inside the other organization other than you will lead them, or someone outside in the organization they will listen to, or they'll just leave the organization, okay? Leadership is important, um, but you have, to, you, have to, you have to be intentional about doing that. Um, all right, next, a father teaches. Fathers, what are you teaching your families? Uh, maybe a better question is, uh, sorry, are you teaching your families? A better question is probably, what are you teaching your families? The good father gave his children the best lessons. He gave them the best teachings, right? Um, the world would be a terrible place without the Torah, okay? If you, if you think that's wrong um, and you think that the Ten Commandments are just, like, self-evident to everybody, just look outside, right? Uh, that's not self-evident to everyone, okay? But, but then he followed that up with the living word, his, his son, the word of God made flesh to show us what 
what his teachings looked like, looked like lived out um, in, in person as an example for us, right? Teaching can be intentional, and it can be unintentional, right? This follows closely with leadership. We have to be intentional uh, about teaching our kids because they're going to see what we do, and they're going to learn from that more than just about anything, right? What am, again, what am I teaching my kids by how much time I spend on this device, right? What are they just naturally learning? Um, I'm right here with you, right, by the way. Um, are you teaching your kids, uh, what are you teaching them about the language that you use, right? The words you use and how you speak, how you speak to other people, particularly uh, to your spouse, your significant other, because life and death is in the power of the tongue. Um, what are you teaching your kids about relationships, right? Why do I ask this? Happiness, health, longevity of life, and every study they've ever done are all associated with close, personal relationships. Right? I, I shared about the hospice thing uh, at the beginning. For the sake of your family, in both word and action, teach your children the importance of relationships and how to maintain them. Model for them how to apologize. Right? I think that's a big one. My wife and I always try, if, if we're, if we're you know, irritable or frustrated with the girls at some point of the day, then we'll go back to them and, and we'll kneel down and we'll look them in the eye and we'll say, you know, Mommy and Daddy are really sorry that we were, we were upset or irritated with you earlier. It's not you, you know, we're, I have a headache or this is wrong, uh, but I love you uh, and I apologize. Can you forgive me? Right? So they under, know, they understand that, that, that that is the model um, that they need to follow. Um, Share testimony. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to share age-appropriate testimonies of your failures in the face of God's strength and grace and mercy. All right? uh, I talk to my girls uh, whenever the subject comes up about the fact that, that daddy wasn't a good daddy and wasn't a good husband to mommy for, for some, several years. Right? And they need to know that Jesus is the reason that I'm the way that I am now. He's the reason that I'm changed. He's the reason um, that I love uh, their mother more than anything. Right? Amen. Okay. Um, but they need to hear that from me. That, that teaches them humility. Right? Um, are you teaching your children the importance of the Word of God? Is it central in your devotion time as a family? Or, or are you having devotion times as a family? Are you teaching your children to hear from the Holy Spirit? Is that an ongoing dialogue that you have with them? Um, are, you, are you teaching them the importance of prayer? Do they know that they can speak, they can bring their requests to the Father, and that He listens to them and hears from them? Like leadership, if we don't teach our kids, someone else will. Right? Uh, in the information age, uh, the age that we need to, to bring up the subject and talk about, about things like sex and pornography come, is coming earlier and earlier. Depending on which study you look at, the current age of, of exposure to pornography in the United States is between 8 and 9 years old. Right? So, so some earlier and some later. Right? We, we call this in the military a preemptive strike. Okay? So you need to preemptively strike, you need to preemptively have that conversation uh, before they hear it or see it um, in one of their friends. Houses or from their phones. Uh, next, a father strengthens his children and eases their burdens. Fathers, are you strengthening your children and easing, easing their burdens? Uh, I love to read the Gospels, and my, my wife and I are currently doing the New Testament in 90 days uh, through the YouVersion app. Um, so many times I think we don't read the Scriptures, and so we, we miss out on some things. Um, but I'd like to, to pull us over to Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 42. Um, and this is the scene with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So in verse 42, he's praying to his father. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So in his flesh, he really doesn't want to go through what he's about to go through. Right? I think we could all get on board with that. Right? If somebody's like, hey, you want to go to the cross? I'd be like, no, thank you. Right? Uh, so we can understand that in his flesh, he doesn't want to do that. But, however, he, 
he loves the Father and honors the Father through obedience, and he says he's ready to do that. But if you look at verse 42, the Father answers his prayer, like immediately, right? Verse 42, um, sorry, verse 43. He said, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. So that's the Father's response. The response from the father, from, from the, to the Son, from the Father, the Son has asked for strength. The Father grants him that strength, right? He says, I, you don't, I know you don't want to do this, but I'm going to strengthen you for the task ahead. And then look at Jesus' response to the Father strengthening him. Verse 44. We, we focus on the blood and we miss the rest of the verse. It says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood, falling down to the ground. The response from the Son, who is strengthened by the Father, is that he becomes more earnest and resolved to the task. As fathers, we, we walk a line between strengthening our children and, and, and easing or removing their burdens. When my, when my girls were really little, they'd be in the other room, and I'd hear like, you know, parents, you can attest this, you hear a random like blood-curdling scream. And you just start to move in that direction in your head, like all the worst things, like, like how many digits have they lost, right? Like, did they lose a limb? Like, how soon is Child Protective Services going to be here to take them away? And then you walk in, and you get there, and like, they have their shoe like half on. And they just like, they got to the point they couldn't do it, so they just literally scream. Like, they have no other thing to do but just scream uh, for you to come and take care of it. Earlier on, right, I, I, I helped them out, right? I eased their burden by... by putting the shoe the rest of the way on for them. But as they get older, I strengthen them and I encourage them so they're able to, to walk that out, to do that themselves. As our children grow, they need to know that there will be burdens that we may not be able to help with. But, but we can point them to the one who can. Right? The, uh, when, I, when I was getting ready to retire in 2019, I'd come back from deployment, and I, and I had a lot going on up here, right? My headspace was kind of full, and, and so my wife, I was a little more irritable than usual, and my wife and I, our, our relationship was, was um, had a lot of friction uh, more than usual. And so uh, we're on our way to church one morning, and uh, how many of you know that's like one of the worst times of, of the week? Like, it's the worst. Like, on your way and home from church, like, if you could just teleport here, I would hit that button. <laughs> Boom. Let's do it. So we're on our way to church, and I don't know, some of you, like, when you drive, some of you, like, may like people to help you out with that, right? Like, um, like maybe you don't see something, so you have someone either in the back seat or maybe in the passenger seat um, just be like, hey, this is happening, or hey, maybe you want to apply one of those pedals, the brakes, or whatever. Um, I'm not a huge, huge fan of that. Uh, some, again, um, not, not, my, one, not a favorite, I guess you would say. Um, so that morning, my wife was helping me, and uh, everything is already piled up to, to, like, this high, okay? And I should have taken this to the Father, like, weeks ago, okay? Hindsight's amazingly 2020. So, but I'm, like, here, and so then all of a sudden I'm up here. And, if, and if, it's one of those, like, if, I, if there was ejector seats, like, in the car, like, I'd be single right now because it, boom, see ya, right? Was, I was there. It was, really, it, was really not, it was really not good. It's not good. I can laugh now, but it was really bad. Um, so we go to church, and uh, my wife drops the girls off at kids' church, and, uh, and, I'm, and we start worship, right? And it was just, it was one of those, like, I can't even, like, moments, right? Brent knows what I'm talking about. Like, I can't even press into worship, you know, because there was so much me that I couldn't see him. Does that make sense? So, so I'm there, and I'm trying to press into worship, and it's like, one song goes by, right? The second song goes by. My wife's like, she's worshiping next to me. She's, 
you know, loving Jesus and has no idea what's going on up here. And I'm just like, right? And it's just not, not a good place. And finally, I think it was like the third or fourth song, I just, I just let it go, you know? <laughs> Sorry. And, and I did something that, that I'd never done before. I called God by a different name. And, and I just closed my eyes and worship. And I lifted him to heaven and I, and I said, Papa, I can't do this anymore. And in a moment, it lifted. The anger, the rage, the frustration, it was all gone. And tears just poured down my face as I worshiped the one, the only one, who could take that burden away. We need to teach, excuse me, we need to teach our kids how to take these emotional and spiritual burdens to the Father. But we, fathers, need to stop thinking that we can do it all. Um, and we need to take our issues to him as well. There are many around this room, I'm sure, that, that are walking around with burdens, um, that are struggling with addictions, that Jesus didn't die for you to carry. Right? Um, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. You can testify to that. Um, next, a father protects. Fathers, you protecting your children. I love how Jesus lives out and demonstrates the Father's protective love, particularly in the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, we're going to go to John's account. So this is John chapter 18. <clears throat> so it says, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, okay, whenever that phrase is used, understand in Scripture that it's, it's referring to the next section of Scripture. Okay, So it's going to refer, it's, you're, you should refer back to that in your mind. So then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? All right. So this is, this is Judas and, the, and the, uh, the temple guards again. And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. He said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. Verse 6. I don't remember the last time I heard this preached on. and I, don't, I almost don't even remember this when I was reading back through John the other day. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Yeah. Right? They didn't slip on the grass. Right? They didn't drop something. They literally fell. Right? So there's something in his voice. He projected power. He projected authority for, for the explicit purpose, as we're going to see, of protecting his disciples. Right? Um, so they, they picked their swords up. They picked their torches up off the ground. And so he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He answered them, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. Right? This is to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost not one. Right? As a side note, I think this is beautiful in light of the other Gospels. If you read the Synoptic Gospels, this, this part of, of what happened isn't in there. Right? But what is? What is is the part where, where once this occurs, the disciples all desert him. Right? So knowing everything that is going to happen, he still protects those he loves, those that the Father gave him, even though he knows that they will run away from him and they will leave him. It's beautiful. Yeah. Fathers, we cannot lose our children by failing to protect them. Uh, this is an era where emotional truth equals reality. Right? So we have to walk with our kids and not dismiss their feelings, right? Feelings are, are, are real. It's, it's what we know when we're going through them. They're natural, but they're not, and they are God-given. Um, and they're a reality while we're experiencing them, but they're not ultimate reality and ultimate truth, all right? The emotion and thought that I didn't like my wife and grew to even hate everything about her 
was, was very real to me for five years of my life, okay? That was my, my truth, right? And I, def- I defended it, right, to other Christian brothers and sisters who, who were, who were try- attempting to pour into me. Um, I believed, with all my emotions and thoughts, that, that I could never love her because we're too different, and so the only answer that I had was divorce, right? That was my truth, okay? And it compelled me towards separation and divorce, but it wasn't absolute truth, right? The idea that, that God can't change my life, change my heart, change my marriage is absolutely absurd in light of the gospel, right? Jesus says in John 17, 17, sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth, right? So if I believe God's word and something runs counter to it, it's not truth, right? I may still choose to accept it as truth, but I do that to my own detriment, right? So I empathize with my daughters, right? I'm present with them as they're experiencing their emotions, but I protect them by not allowing them to accept lies. Does that make sense? Uh, as, a, as a spiritual brother or father, I do the same with, with men that I'm counseling or men that I'm just doing life with, right? When they, when they say things that aren't true that go against scripture, right? Um, you know, what, what you just said about your wife, I'm sorry, but that's, that's not true. Like, I don't know where you, where you got that life from. Uh, I love you. Like, I, I'm sorry that you're walking through this. I'm sorry you feel frustrated. I'm sorry you're experiencing this, but uh, I'm not going to love you to hell, right? I'm not going to love you towards divorce. Uh, I'm going to speak the truth to you in love, uh, because I care about you, right? I'm, I'm protecting you from yourself. That's what I'm doing, right? Um, but we need to be intent on protecting what our children see, uh, hear, and where they go. Um, it's impossible in this information age to prevent my kids from seeing all the, the horrible things that the, that the world has to offer. Um, but I can't, I can't be like, well, can't win, don't try, right? I have to, I have to be intentional about the things that I do. Um, I have to care about the houses that my kids go to. Right? I, you know, I want to know their parents. Are their parents home right now? What are you guys going to be doing? Right? Um, I have to be intentional about um, whether or not, and at what age, uh, my child should have unfettered access to the internet. Right? I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let my girls play with rusty bear traps. Right? But that's like social media is like kind of on par with, with that kind of a kind of a deal. So I have to be very careful about that. My wife and I, we have we have an ongoing conversation about being overprotective um, and just being too hands off. Um, and so that's, a, that's an important conversation I think you need to have. Uh, finally, a father disciplines and rebukes in love. Fathers, are you disciplining and rebuking in love? Jesus in uh, Revelation 3.19 is speaking to the, uh, the church of Laodicea. And he says, those whom I love, I reprove or rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. I try in earnest to not discipline my daughters in anger. Okay? That can be challenging sometimes. Right? Um, but they don't learn from that. They don't learn from my anger. Right? Uh, people don't learn to feel like raging in their face. Uh, if anything, they do learn, they learn that it's okay to be angry and, and take action and, and raise your voice with someone else. Uh, but proper rebuke is done in love, or I, I find that it's rarely received. Spiritual fathers, um, there's a distinct lack of reproof and correction in the body of Christ. Right? I think often... Um, when we hear that people are in sin, particularly sexual sin, we take it casually, right? Um, I think it's probably because it's so pervasive these days, um, and I'm guilty of it as well, but according to Revelation, sexual immorality is one of the enemy's primary weapons against the end times church, right? It is at the top of the list in every place in the New Testament where it tells us what is detestable to God, what is detestable in his sight. So that means that it's a big deal, right? Um, I'd never seen what I would call loving rebuke in person until I was involved in a, in a men's group, men's ministry, 
uh, down in my church in Mississippi. And uh, our men's pastor's name was Rick Crawford, a uh, really, really strong Christian brother of mine. And one evening, it was Tuesday night, <clears throat> one of my friends came in, big guy, 6'5", 230, 240. And uh, he kind of had his head bowed a little bit. Um, but a few minutes into, into our group meeting, he, uh, he speaks up and he says, uh, he says, brothers, he say, I, I have a confession to make. He says, uh, I've been looking at some things on the internet that I shouldn't. Uh, I've been backsliding. He said, and I, uh, I need a butt chewing. That's what he said. And uh, I'm just sitting there like, is this, is, this, is this a thing? Like, is this, I've never heard this happen before. Is this new? Like, what is going on? Does everybody know about this but me? So Rick motions to one of my buddies who's sitting next to this guy. He's like, hey, go ahead. And uh, so my, my buddy's uh, uh, more of a quiet individual. He puts his hand on, on this guy, and he's like, come on, man. And I'm like, I wonder if that's what he meant. By he needed a, a butt chew. That's interesting. I'm in the Navy. I've had a lot of, not a lot. I've had my fair share of, of those things. Um, that's not what they were like. And I look back up at, <laughs> and I look back up at, at Rick, at Rick Crawford, And his eyes are filled with tears. And they're, they're running down his face. And, and the look on his face, I really was trying to figure out how to describe it. It's, it, was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was just a, like an anger, just perfectly mixed with love. And, and when he opened his mouth to speak, he used what I call the dad voice. And, and the, the, literally the, the room shook when he spoke. And this is what he said. How could you? How could you? You are so much better than this. How could you do this to your wife? How could you do this to your children? And I don't remember what happened after that. But what I can tell you is, is, is there were some tough dudes in that room. right? There were, I had friends that worked on the oil rigs, shipyard steel workers, and there was not a dry eye in that room. And when, when he was finished with his rebuke, he walked up to his friend, and he pulled into a standing position, and they embraced. They embraced for the longest time while they both wept together. We need to treat men like men. We need to hold them accountable to the Father's standard for them in love. Will you stand to your feet with me, Dayspring? Larry, uh, Larry and Gracia, Larry's still here, there he is, you join me, so I, I like, uh, so we're, we're a church, we're a body, and a body does things, right, a body moves, it's not stagnant, uh, so if you, if you're a father, and you have children under the age of, let's say, 12 or 13, uh, if you just come forward, um, just, and fill in right here, stand here, uh, just make a line, if you will, I'll be joining you there in a moment, don't be shy, um, I've asked Larry to come up and, and, and pray over us, pray over us uh, fathers, us, new, us newbies. <laughs> Don't be shy. Larry doesn't bite often when provoked. Mm-hmm. All right, now I'd like to ask all the, the elder fathers, if you're, you're able or choose to do so, uh, if you would come in and just, and just for, fill in behind them. 
um, spiritual fathers, uh, or if you just want to, to pray over and bless, uh, bless these gentlemen here. Just lay your hands on, if you would, when you get up here. Lay your hands and, and, just, and just start praying, speaking life over, over, the, over these gentlemen in the front row. And so once Larry's finished praying, uh, I've asked uh, our founding pastor, Steve Wilson, uh, if he'd come up. Um, and then those of us on the front row, uh, we're going to turn and we're going to pray and we're going to bless um, the, the elders, um, the, uh, the spiritual fathers. But let me encourage you with this. I don't want to waste an opportunity. If you are not in a DNA group, if you're not in a discipleship group that meets weekly, right, with, so with, with one to three other men to sharpen one another, um, to talk about the word, to do life together, to, to get some, some deep, deep fellowship, okay? If you're not in one of those groups, take a look around you, right? This is a, a great place to start a group. This is a great place to meet somebody, to invite someone that, that you've seen or that you've talked with uh, in the past that, that you, you think you might want to connect with uh, to be sharpened in your, in your daily life and in your walk, uh, particularly as a father. Um, so, Larry, I'll hand it over to you. Thank you for your time, Dayspring.